how might we as storytellers be aware of that gap between intention and and effect? Welcome to our final Holy Week episode, at least this year, of Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. I'm Helena Martin. In this episode, we're getting ready for Easter Vigil. So we welcome back Joel Baden, professor of Hebrew Bible and director of the Center for Continuing Education, and Tisa Wenger, associate professor of American Religious History. They're discussing Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, read for you by student Eric Holland. The texts are appointed for Easter Vigil in year C. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, said the Lord, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. The readings for Easter cover quite a range of texts, all of which sort of combine to tell the big story. The big story ranging from the promise to Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22— all the way into the New Testament and to Jesus. And really what we're given here is sort of the sweep of Israel's history uh, from its origins in Abraham to, at least in the 
you know, lectionary sense, it's culmination in Jesus. It's presented from a Christian perspective as the Christian salvation story, right? And which, the Christian story is the fulfillment of the of the Hebrew. Right. Which for lectionary readings makes plenty of sense. Makes total sense. <laughs> but gives us an opportunity to think not about any one of these particular episodes individually in this case, but to think about sort of the way that, that the big story is constructed mm-hmm. and what it means to run a story that really comes in in two halves, and it comes in two halves in our reading also, right? We have Old Testament readings and we have New Testament readings, and we've made one through story out of the whole thing, which the New Testament itself does and Christianity obviously has done forever. But here we are, two scholars, uh, one of whom happens not to be Christian, with an opportunity to think about what does it mean to take the story of the Hebrew Bible and say— we're just going to keep going, right? That story doesn't end where the community responsible for its creation and transmission and continual study and uh, adherence today, where that community says, that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the Christian story keeps going. Right. Well, and of course, that sort of Christian supersessionism towards Jews and Judaism has been a continual problem, a longstanding problem, um, particularly since although Christians see themselves as kind of succeeding um, the the story of the Israelites and there's a new story now, but in fact the, 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 the Jews didn't stop having their own history and their own being. <laughs> right. It branched. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, rather than simply morph from one thing in, into another. I wonder whether there are good sort of non-biblical, non-stories of Jews and Christians counterparts to that kind of taking up of a story that already exists and continuing it in a new direction that the original storytellers, as it were, are are not part of. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, I think we can see that kind of supersessionism going on all over the place and certainly in American history with indigenous people. I mean, I think of the American Southwest and um, Mesa Verde and Chaco Canyon, anybody who's been to those places which are now national parks, national landmarks, the ancient cliff dwellings of the ancestral Pueblo people, right, Um, are kind of claimed by the National Park Service and by the narrative of the – the narrative gets placed on them really starting from the late 19th century as this is part of American history. This is part of what makes um, America great parallel to the kind of beautiful landscapes of a place like places like Yellowstone and Yosemite, right? This is America, a grand American history to counter and compete with the grand histories and the grand cathedrals of Europe, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, even as the indigenous people of those places were being actively expelled from those places, right? So 
it's like their histories and their landmarks and the landscapes that they had created are claimed and appropriated yeah. by the United by the by the United States to create a sense of history for itself. Right. When we look at those places and those peoples and we tell those stories, when we tell those stories, those stories continue only up until we contemporary white Americans sort of show up on the scene and then their story just sort of blends right into into our narrative as if they did too. As if they did too. When in fact we know that those people continue to exist and are actively reclaiming those stories for themselves. Yeah. I, and I, we can certainly see actually I think a, a parallel even within the Jewish and Christian tradition again in a sort of a modern American sense Mormonism does the same thing to uh, Christianity, to Protestant Christianity, as Christianity did to, to Judaism. That is to say, yes, yes, your story is terrific. And guess what happened next? Absolutely. That's another example of, of a kind of supersessionism and the Latter-day Saints, uh, Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon said, you know, here's a new scripture that we've just rediscovered that kind of completes the salvation history and we're restoring um, the age of the prophets as well as Jesus. I mean, it's a kind of uh, restoration that claims to fulfill all of it. Which is, of course, precisely what the New Testament does to the, to the Hebrew Bible. I think in both cases, though, at least today, when you talked about sort of national parks and looking back on native sites and native peoples, and in the case of Mormonism, also looking back on uh, on on the New Testament and on the Hebrew Bible, in neither case, I don't think, are we talking about supersessionism in a you know a sort of diabolical sense. Right. It has been that, but I, I think the two examples we've used are, are examples where supersessionism is not intended is not intended to erase. Right? It does that. But it's a much, you know, I, th I think often when we use the word supersessionist, it has a very negative tone to it. But it need not in these cases be a case of negative intentionality. Right. Well, it may be in some cases, but I think for most of the people who embrace those narratives aren't, aren't conscious of that at all and, right. and see it as a kind of positive story for themselves, not as an, a story of erasing somebody else. Sure. I guess I'm trying to get at sort of the – the difference between intention and effect, mm -hmm. right? That is, with all of the best intentions, you know, in our national parks, we can put up all the signs that celebrate the heritage of the native peoples who, yeah. as part of our national story and our founding myth and our Western expansion, all of those things. Um, and we can we can celebrate those parts of the past that, uh, with the with the intent of holding them up mm -hmm. and saying, look at this wonderful thing. But there's a really there's a really negative effect to that sort of even well-intentioned uh, supersessionism. Yeah, absolutely. So as we think about this lectionary reading, uh, which is, you know, on perhaps the most important day of the calendar and perhaps the most thorough telling of the story in the cycle, how might we as storytellers be aware of that gap between intention and, and effect. Is there a way 
to tell these stories in a way that it maybe is more uh, thoughtful, responsible. Um, I think one way to do it is to put yourself into the story in an unexpected role or to think about who's um, who's not directly and overtly in assigned a role in the story, who's kind of um, absent and erased from the story. We talked earlier about, you know, about branching rather than simply succeeding. And I think that as we look back on the stories, it's good to find all of the places where the story has branched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not just the obvious ones, Mormonism branches off from uh, from Protestantism or Christianity branches off from Judaism. But Judaism or Israelites branch off from... Canaan, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where, if we're talking about places we can put ourselves in the story in an unexpected way, how about just not on the same line that we find ourselves on now? Right? What if we went back to one of those branches and said, what happened to those people in the story? Right. And what does this story look like from their perspective? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that may be the responsible way, or at least a responsible way to maintain the story but maintain also our awareness that not everybody in the story is on the same place that we are. That's right. Thanks for listening to Chapter, Verse, and Season. Follow us on Twitter at Bible Yale or visit our website, YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Aidan Stoddard is our editorial and production assistant, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thanks, as always, to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. And thank you, Professors Baden and Wenger, for thinking through the big story with us today. We'll be back tomorrow with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.